Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Global News investigative reporter Sam Cooper, who's reporting on money laundering by criminal gangs from China. And uh, the challenging of British Columbia has generated national headlines and international attention. And in my view, you've heard me say this many times, Sam to me is absolutely the standard for great investigative journalism. Sam's uh, book, his new book, Willful Blindness, which is going to be released on Thursday, has already generated a great deal of attention. And uh, we have a pre-publishing interview with Sam right now on the massive amount of money laundered through British Columbia casinos. And uh, Sam names the people involved and the investigators tasked with putting an end to this huge international organized crime activity. Sam Cooper, uh, willful blindness. I have to tell you, Sam, uh, this is an exceptional piece of investigative journalism. I, I, I'm reading your book, and each day when I finish my day's reading, I go back and look at certain parts of it, certain sections of it, and I just know how hard you've worked. Congratulations. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> Roy, that's... Uh... Super high praise. Um, I, I just want to say I, I'm glad that you're the first person to talk to me about this book because I believe uh, you've been there for some developments, some huge developments uh, in, on the BC casino money laundering story. And as I let your uh, listeners know uh, a few weeks ago, really what I did here was dig into the history so that this could, this could uh, tell how the Vancouver model took shape in Canada and how organized crime has really uh, gripped a hold on Vancouver. Really, it's Toronto, too. Uh, you know, Roy, a lot of people understand how it had New York City in its grip uh, decades ago. The FBI overcame that, uh, that really uh, economic scourge. But people don't quite understand, I believe, how the same thing is happening in Canada, but it's a different story. Uh, yeah. Transnational gains in Asia. So, this so Sam have grabbed control. Yeah, I explained the relationship between China's communist government and criminal organizations in China, and the owners of casinos, casinos in Hong Kong and Macau, and how that relationship transferred or came into play in British Columbia. So, for the book, I knew that I had to uh, go to primary sources, and there were some excellent sources. These were the investigators uh, from the RCMP. Canadian immigration investigators that were stationed in Hong Kong in the 1990s. They have a story to tell. Really, this is the, the first run at, at history that, that I've revealed in this book because uh, the narrative is they say that large-scale corruption occurred in Canada's High Commission in Hong Kong. Uh, tycoons who owned the Macau casinos were very connected to triads, that's organized crime uh, based in China and Hong Kong that runs drug money around the world and through Macau casinos. The added layer there is that what these Canadian investigators were saying was that these triads and tycoons based in Hong Kong work for the Chinese Communist Party and with Chinese intelligence services. But it doesn't stop there. I know this is shocking for Canadians. What's alleged and revealed in the story uh, a few chapters in my book is that these investigators believe that a number of Canadian officials were corrupted by these tycoons, gangsters, 
and uh, agents of espionage for the Chinese Communist Party. How does it happen? It happens with free trips to the Macau casinos, uh, what's called the red packets. That is, you, you get a gift of a red packet with cash stuffed in it, and you go to the Hong Kong Jockey Club and gamble with these tycoons. They get very close and friendly with you. What are they trying to do? They are trying to uh, win immigration to Canada, even though they're known organized crime figures. And uh, the surprise here is some were very successful, and those people are very invested in Vancouver and Toronto real estate and have been for decades. So now in the book, uh, and, and you, may, you, you name names and you give numbers and, and you have direct quotes, and it's just, again, Willful Blindness is the name of the book. It is an amazing, amazing piece of work, three years of Sam's life into researching this. So individuals you name, including uh, include Lee Lin Shaw and Kwok Chung Tam, now, Mr. Tom was ordered deported from Canada, arrived as a refugee after, as you write, selling three factories in, uh, in China before he left for Canada. Um, so I don't know how you qualify as a refugee, but anyway. Uh, so he, he applies for refugee status, but he was ordered deported after a period of years, number of years, but he remained here years after his deportation order. What can you tell us about these two individuals? Well, to start with Kwok Chun Tam, uh, I had to look at his case to understand how this uh, gang that is very close to the Chinese Communist Party called the Big Circle Boys has become the dominant uh, dealer of heroin and fentanyl in North America. My book uh, quotes uh, Canadian investigators that say they are so powerful, they set the prices for heroin in North America. Kwok Chan Tam arrived in 1988. Yes, he claimed refugee status, but uh, as my book reveals, Within days, uh, he, he was doing business, criminal business, allegedly. He, he had uh, homes, he had an auto shop, he had all kinds of uh, assets with no legitimate income. How did I come across him? There's a, a former Australian police officer named Ross Alderson, a main source for this book. I tell the story through the eyes of investigators. He let me know about Kwok Chun Tam back in uh, 2016 or 17 because he was following my reporting on uh, money laundering in Vancouver. He thought I needed to know about uh, how powerful this individual was and how for really decades, he, uh, investigators had been trying to bar him from casinos in Richmond. They could not. He continued to run a Macau style junket operation. And yes, he was ordered deported, but for some reason, uh, the, <laughs> the order was never fulfilled. So. Really, I, chapter three is about understanding how an individual like this alleged transnational gang boss can remain in Canada and uh, what I found uh, allegedly run drug labs. We know many people are dying in BC from heroin and fentanyl, yeah. yet how did Mr. Tam stay here? Uh, yeah. People will have to read the book because I get into a great amount of detail. You do, and and it is an amazingly detailed piece of work. Now, let's talk about this for a second before we take the to take a break here, Sam. Let's get into the money side of things. So the triads used illegal underground banks to transfer. Do we know roughly, is there a ballpark figure of, on how much money they transferred into British Columbia? Because as, as you point out, at one point, they owned about one-sixth of Vancouver, did they not? Well, uh, that's right. Uh, we, it, it's hard to calculate how much let me put it this way uh in the late 80s some of these tycoons that were investigated by the canadian officials i talk about 
they were uh, these officials tried to bar them from uh, in immigrating and investing investing in uh, Canada unsuccessfully. Part of the story is why did that happen? Is there corruption in Ottawa? Is there willful blindness that allowed these tycoons to to buy? Yes, about one sixth of Vancouver. There's some major land deals in the late 80s. And uh, I can tell you that what we see on the surface, one six, that's a number. But uh, I can tell you that the family members, the the offspring of, uh, of some of these, the richest men in Asia that are allegedly connected to heroin triads are very, are still investing. I, I know of cases I haven't reported yet. Let me try to give you a figure. Uh, look, uh, I report that in 2014, BC's gaming regulator estimated that $200 million per year in drug in suspected drug cash was being laundered through BC legal casinos. That is one year. Uh, there's illegal casinos too. Everyone that knows about this story knows that the casinos are the tip of the iceberg. The real estate is uh, the bigger portion of money laundering. As I say, a lot of this money that arrived in Canada, going back to the 1980s, that one-sixth of Vancouver that was bought, my contention, my argument is that money was already laundered in Hong Kong. So when it arrives in Canada, it may look clean, but it, uh, it stems from criminal proceeds. That's the argument uh, uh, my book puts forward. We're talking to Sam about the billions and billions of dollars that made their way by way of uh, Macau and Hong Kong and uh, the Chinese Communist government and criminal organizations in, in mainland China and Hong Kong to British Columbia through underground, illegal underground banks where they transferred the money. Uh, hockey bags filled with $20 bills. This is, this is like movie stuff, uh, Sam, but it, it's, it's real, isn't it? Hockey bags filled with $20 bills, which is the stock in trade for drug deals, we're taking to BC casinos in exchange for casino chips, laundering the money. So that makes you, it makes it impossible. And you're right about this. It's impossible for Canadian organizations like banks, law firms, real estate agents, and provincial casino regulators not to be aware. It's impossible for them not to be aware, and uh, it's it's only most apparent in the casinos because yes, indeed, uh, there were hockey bags, there were. Uh, suitcases with uh you know up to a million dollars per night uh, i write about in a in a portion of the book that you haven't gotten to yet uh stunning transactions and absolutely within view of casino security and uh, why were the police not there that's a uh, another portion of the book that you're gonna have to get to roy and i believe perhaps one of the most explosive portions but uh the banks uh, of course, the banks, to some extent, uh, are involved, and the book shows that. Uh, bank drafts, when late in the game, when, when, when people are forced to step up and take a little bit of a second look at those duffel bags stuffed with 500 to a million dollars in cash, uh, bank drafts are used by these same transnational gangs to feed into the casinos. And, and some people might say, if you have a bank draft, why the heck would you would you go and take it to the casino because you already have your money laundered it's in the bank yeah. but what i found roy is let's think about this who owns the casinos is there someone you know secretly owning a portion of the casino were they allowed to own a portion of the casino by regulators in bc that is something my book will look at and if you think about it uh loan sharks narco traffickers gangsters running cash into the casino. Could it be that uh, gangsters are also taking cash out on the other side? 
It's just that there's so much money flowing through, and that, that's the argument to the book. Uh, willful blindness is a slam dunk. What does that mean in legal terms? It means that people that should know and should act do know this is dirty money. They, they in fact, welcome criminal proceeds. My book prov provides documents that, uh, that makes that case. And I know that there's some people uh, in the casinos that, that uh, will have their lawyers uh, scouring through the book and, and, and trying to make arguments, but this is all documented, right? Well, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be the person who challenges you on this because just reading what I've read so far, and we'll have part two of our interview next Saturday. We're doing this live today. We'll do it live again next Saturday. But we'll, I'll be further into the book. I'm just absorbing everything that you've written, Sam, and it is incredible. Tell us a bit about the good guys, like Ross Alderson and Calvin Krusty. They, they, they were trying to kick out, out of British Columbia casinos, individuals who never should have been allowed to enter, and they got pushback on that. That's right. There's a long history, again, going back to Hong Kong, of some very excellent investigators and uh, Canadian intelligence. Look, Canadian intelligence and law enforcement are some of the smartest people in the world, but for some reason... Uh, our legal system just isn't allowing them to make cases. So you're right, people like Ross Alderson, Fred Pinnock, Calvin Krusty, these are some of the people uh, I can name because their names have come out in public now. There, there are other investigators that were sources that I can't name. Um, some, you know, some, some amazing people, let's just say uh, people that know because they come from Hong Kong and they know the culture, uh, Canadian investigators that are you know, just such experts on uh, how crime works in China and trying to fight it within uh, Canadian communities that are being taken advantage of by, uh, again, the Chinese Communist Party. So my sources are, are broad and wide. They come from every section of Canadian society. And you're right. In the book, I, I think the people that came to me came to me because they tried to make a difference and just for institutional reasons... I'm going to come out and say it, revenue generation, uh, they were not allowed to block this dirty money. And that's really, you know, that's the core of the story. When, yeah. when you see such, when it's so apparent that dirty money com is coming in and good investigators are trying to block it, yet they have their careers ruined, what does that suggest? It suggests there's corruption higher above them that, uh, that is uh, really stamping down on the good guys and girls in these uh, agencies and just letting this crime take hold in Canada. Sam, we have about a minute left uh, today, and then again we'll, we'll talk again next Saturday about willful blindness. But share with us something uh, about Canadian soldiers who came back from the Wuhan games, which may well shock people. That's a scoop in the latter portion of the book where I, I deal with what happened during the pandemic, uh, what happened with PPE disappearing from Canada so quickly, who was behind it, well, uh, I'll, I'll just give it away. It was some of the people involved in casino money laundering. Now over to Wuhan, yes, there is more of a story there. I talked to uh, soldiers that were over in Wuhan in October, 2019 and experienced extremely strange activity. Let's just say uh, a, very, uh, a, a city of about 10 million seems strangely empty. What does Canadian intelligence and Canadian military intelligence believe about what happened in Wuhan? I can tell you that some soldiers came home very sick and uh, they don't believe that the government acted on intelligence the way they should. So that, that's a big story, I believe, Roy. And uh, when people read the book, there's going to be some documentation that they'll be surprised by. Yeah, that's a big, big, big story. 
And in the seconds we have left, these people, these 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 gangsters, these mobsters, these criminals, they made Pablo Escobar seem like a pauper by comparison. Yes, that's yes, correct. Yeah. And uh, my the, the book ends okay. with the afterward chapter where I demonstrate that the the largest transnational cartel yeah. in the world yeah. is so active in D.C. and Toronto okay. that people would be shocked. If you want to hear more. Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.